Hi, it's Michael Kerr here presenting Small Business Banter. A healthy micro and small business sector means a successful economy and a more vibrant society. Small Business Banter is about helping regional business owners better prepare for current challenges, but also for the next stage of business success. I'm Michael Kerr, founder of Kerr Capital, advisors to business owners. Each week, I interview a fellow small business owner or an expert, and they share their stories, their lived experiences, the wins and the losses, and their best advice to help you, the listener, get the most you can from your own business. Small Business Banter is brought to you from the studios of 104.7 Gippsland FM and is heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. And thanks also to Kerr Capital, supporters of the show. Welcome in to another edition of Small Business Banter Community Radio and Podcast. Uh, firstly, welcome in Ali Taylor. It's great to have you in from uh, Orange County in the US. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. Ali is um, multi-talented, um, but what we're going to be focusing on today, and she's going to talk in a minute about uh, her background, but we're going to be talking about business, the psychology of business ownership and the psychology of business owners. So, Ali, do you want to just give us a couple of minutes on your background and interest in the area of business owner psychology, please. Sure. So I won't go all the way back to my mother's womb. Uh, going back a little way probably is helpful. Um, when I was doing my undergraduate work in biology and chemistry, a family member, close family friend, had a failing business. So um, he asked my um, husband and I if we'd come in and help him out, and I found out that I love business. Um, and we ended up buying it and turning it around, and that led to a series of acquisitions in the packaging industry that we would buy, turn around, and sell. Um, great. It was a great season until it wasn't, and that blew up my marriage and the business. Um, never wanted to do that again. Yeah. Got a master's in marriage and family therapy. And realized I hated being in a little room, but had a really great client, a couple I thought was just going to check the box on the way to divorce court. But they stayed for the whole year. And at the end, the husband said, this thing that you did with me and my wife, can you come do that with me and my management team? Because those same behaviors I do to them, and I think it might be worse. And so I got to go play in that space for a little bit and found out that I really love it. Um, didn't know that could be a career, so I took some executive roles, um, running operations for an enterprise at foreign staff in 27 countries, um, leading a communications team at one point, lots of different type of executive experience. And then I met my current husband, and he thought it'd be a brilliant idea if we did management consulting, so we jumped out and did that. He was just my partner. We, I was not getting married again, didn't <laughs> want to be in a family business. <laughs> But you can't um, control that, can you, Ali? Can't control it. Can't control it. And he was—he's the key—and he's the Kiwi in Orange Kiwi, which is one of your entities. And yeah, yeah. Um, 
So yeah. a lot of a lot of uh, deep uh, exposure to family business, very yes. very close, particularly in that first one, and so that that yes. and then uh, you combine that with some training as a, um, a family and marriage counselor slash therapist, which in the work I do with owners and particularly where you've got more than one owner, you've got a, a few shareholders, that's a lot of what you do uh, around yeah. helping them plan their way through to running the business more effectively or ultimately with what I do a lot of is um, exit planning. So that really must have really, you know, it's obviously stuck with you. So today you, a couple of businesses that you have related to that, I mean, you're an investor in some businesses, but you also have Orange Kiwi, which, um, and and the other one is Clearwater Insights. So can you just kind of give a snapshot of both of those organisations and what they do, please? Sure. So um, Orange Kiwi was our first business. My husband and I, general management consulting, um, that ended up, morphing into we into what it is today from general management consulting to really focused on um, points that are probably the most difficult for owners significant transitions scaling through growth curves exiting the business or engaging in a family succession and what my husband is way smarter than me said is if we're going to do that really well everything we do is evidence-based i need to go back and get my phd in understand the psychology of low to mid-market owners and their management teams at points of transition. That work culminated in what we call Clearwater Insights, which is our brand that is um, focused on advisors. And the reason we wanted to focus on advisors is because when advisors come in and they don't know how to work well with an owner's psychology, they create a whole bunch of mess and more. They come in with the intent to help and a heart to help, but the fan, they don't know how to engage with the family well, and so it creates more challenges, not less. And so this tool helps them understand the psychology of the owner or owners and their own psychology so they can adapt the way the advisor works, not the way the owner behaves. Yeah, I think by implication, one of the things you said there was that even the, the psychology of the business owner or owners can also change around, which is... I'd expect that, you know, when there's a, a peak event or something significant that you're not necessarily going to operate the same way as you do when things are, yeah. So, and that for, for advisors, so we're talking here about exit planners and, and business brokers and M&A executives, in, it's, it's critical that for, for the success of that process of a transition or a and and to get a good outcome for the owners, whatever that is, it, it you really do need to have another set of skills in in your in your kit bag, and and so that's what that ownership transition profile data heavy uh, is all about. Is that right? It's a it's a kind of profile. Yeah, that's correct. It measures certain psychological dimensions of the owners, and that can that. That data translates to a story, a story then that advisors can put into context. And so the advisor can understand, this is my process and this is my bag of tricks and how I really like things to work. I loved your 
your bag metaphor there. This is how I'd really like things to work because it worked for my business process. But oh my goodness, this is what the owner needs. So how can I reorient that toolkit to meet the owner's needs? Okay. What so you've you've had a deep dive in was it at Chicago that you the Chicago Correct. Business School? Was it or Chicago? Uh, Chicago School of Professional Psychology. Right. So what did what did you come away with in terms of understanding a archetypal or typical small business owner? Were there particular traits? I'm fascinated as to what they might be. And and secondly, yeah. if they're different to the rest of the population, the non-small business owner population. Yeah. So I think you've been in the business long enough. No two owners are ever the same, ever. But the really cool thing about human behavior is while we're all unique, we we behave in ways that can that we look for p- patterns. Our brains are just wired to look for patterns, right? And so as I dove into the research, um, lots of researchers before me had already identified some personality traits that make owners successful, that allow them to thrive. Um, and there's five of them. And then I also found it really interesting data in the U.S. Um, around, they do a small business census every five or six years, and they put out data that shows different um, statistics around small business in particular. So you take out all the farming businesses and you start to look at businesses at different thresholds, and there were significant drop-offs that market forces, economic environment couldn't explain. And when you dive into the research, you start to see it's the psychology of the owner and these personality traits and how they satiate certain motivational forces and drivers through their role as owner that allow them to be successful where most fail. So only 96 percent, I'm sorry, only 4 percent of all businesses ever get over 1 million U.S. in annual revenue. Yeah. And that's pretty consistent in other countries. I suspect it'd be very much scale. Yeah. Yeah. And um, which which, we'll come back to those five personality. Yeah profiles or traits but that and then the 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 extension of that only four percent scale a a big question for me is always there's a lot of pressure on the other 96 to well why aren't you and and so i I love to come back to well why why do you can't you just you know if you're happy with a business at a million dollars and you're suited to running that anyway that's another another issue um, You're happy, yeah. Yeah, and 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 ultimately, I I think in in business that's it's there to to serve a purpose, and 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 they can yes. be different things, financial, emotional, but so yeah, those five um, traits yeah. that you found uncovered, what are they? Interestingly enough, I didn't discover them. They're they're been in the research for a while. Yep. Um, so the first one is not a surprise at all. They, they tend to be highly creative, highly innovative. And so there's a personality trait that is specifically tied to innovativeness and it's their ability to see things other people don't see, take advantage of opportunities nobody else can, and solve problems just in time. So highly innovative. They can tolerate ambiguity and uncertainty at levels that are greater than the average person. Right. They have a higher risk-taking propensity, but it's it's not risk 
that is born of not like a gambling, you know, addict who would go bet it all on, on red or black or not even an addict, like a person who would bet it all on red or black. That's not the kind of risk. Yep. It's risk they think they can control. Um, they have um, a, a very, this is not going to be a surprise either. They have a very high need for control and they have what's called an internal locus of control. And what that means is they believe they can change the circumstances around them and they can exert force on the world around them to achieve their goals, as opposed to people who have an external locus who feel like the world can do things to them. Their internal locus is very, very high, and it gives them a sense of confidence that they can um, drive through things in way and pass barriers that others can't. And they, Steve Jobs was probably the biggest example of this in that he would create what they called a reality distortion field around him. And people around him would all of a sudden believe that they could do things that everybody said was impossible. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's an, it's a, uh, a gift used well. <laughs> yes, agreed, agreed. The last one is they have a very high need for goal achievement. And it's not just I'm going to compete with you know, the brand down the street, it's I'm going to compete with myself and they're never satisfied. They, they, re they don't really reach a, a level, a threshold where they feel like they've made it. They're constantly striving for what's next. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not, as you say, um, uh, that, that sort of fits pretty well with a lot of the owners I've met. And um, so, and, and in terms of those owners that um, you've you've studied and 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 met, and this um, barrier to to growth, um, it, what what's lacking? If someone you know did want to push through and create a, a much bigger business, what do you th what do you think's missing for them in in that? Because sounds like they got you know they're pre prepared to understand and take risks and, and push boundaries. Um, is it is that is that the ex external market forces or, or just a, a lack of um, particular skills? What do you, what do you think's at that? It's, it's pretty interesting. So I think you hit on one big point um, and that's some, some of them are happy with a lifestyle business and they don't, they don't really want to scale. So they're not, they're not motivated to, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, but of the ones that want to scale, but can't, right? They they are constantly on this hamster wheel tyranny of the urgent. They can't get out of their own way. There's a couple of interesting um, studies. Freeman et al. out of UC Berkeley in 2019, which was post my doctorate. I wish I would have had it while I was doing the research. Identified some mental health issues that are more prevalent in entrepreneurs. Anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, um, trauma um and there's a fifth one that doesn't doesn't come to mind at the moment but our adhd duh so that one yeah right and so some of those things i think do get in the way yeah and even when that's not prevalent the way that they get their motion motivational drivers need their needs for significance autonomy relatedness and competency causes them to build a team around them that is often homegrown, that they prioritize trust over everything else. And they don't know how to work with professionals at an early enough stage to be able to push them 
and change the way the owner thinks and behaves. And eventually most owners will hit a ceiling so that by the time you get up to about 50 million in annual revenue US, it's 0.00061% ever make it. So in 2012, 28 million businesses in the US, that's 17,000. Yeah, yeah, that make that, that you know, level, yeah. Um, on today's edition of Small Business Banter, Community Radio and Podcast, talking with Ali Taylor from Orange County in the US and... Um, Orange Kiwi and Clearwater Insights, amongst other things. Um, that we started just you started to talk about that maybe that personal barrier there of when uh, putting aside a financial level that there's a, a there's a point where an owner will get where they 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 don't have everything they need to to go to the next level if they wanted to. And so this idea, and you, you know, this uh, the trust thing is, I, I guess you see that a lot in family businesses. That's how they typically operate. It's you know, it's trust or not trust. Um, <laughs> and but so, but the idea that you um, you want to grow, you do, recognizing that you don't have all the skills, and then reaching out and saying to somebody like a a coach or a, a trusted business advisor or in some cases a therapist or, you know, just to help um, work through some of the, the your own challenges and blockages, that, that takes a, an awful lot, doesn't it, for, for an owner to kind of not wave the white flag but say, look, I, I need help here and I, I don't think there's enough of that. And what, what, do you, what are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah. Um, I think that's interesting when you say, I don't think there's enough of that. Sometimes I wonder if it's the owners that we run into, um, but the, the data probably would argue in your favor, right? Because there's these issues with scaling and predictable ceilings. The, the ceilings are interesting because every time you hit a new barrier where you, the complexity is about to increase, that's where you know if you're going to make it or not. And so I think, I think you're on to something in terms of like, is it possible that that's that's the conversation I really enjoy with owners who are in that space? Sometimes they don't think it's possible. They feel like they've been successful in the past doing these things. And if they change it, they might not be successful in the future, which is that's a cognitive bias. It's complete human nature. And so if we can give them hope and point them towards a time where they did change and they did have to let go of one thing before they can grab another, they can start to see, like I said, our brains are wired for patterns. They can start to see patterns in their own lives that they can conquer. So does it have to be a deep therapeutic session? Not always. Not always. I, I'm thinking of a an owner um, on the East Coast in the U.S. His name is Bill. He's a great guy. Um, he was really struggling with some of the stuff that we've been talking about. And um, he brought me in, we, I had some coaching with him, brought me in, and we worked with his management team. And it's just like that first owner that I met in therapy. Once you can teach the team to behave differently and interact differently, they make it safe for the owner to interact differently. And it creates synergies, right? So that's where if advisors, as advisors, we can get out of the way and leave the owner in control, we get better results. So that was like seven years ago with Bill. 
and he was he was stuck plateaued for a lot of those reasons. Fast forward, he brought in a highly skilled management team around him. He built out systems and processes, more than doubled the size of his business, and just had a phenomenal exit, like right. phenomenal. So we because so that, he was able to do that. Yeah, and let go. He had to let go a bit. Yeah, and and whatever the trigger was, it was he back then. Was he plan? Was this all part of a longer term exit plan, or was this? I'm, I'm in a bit of a rut, and and leading to the business is going well now is a good time to sell um so it's we always call it the presenting problem so the presenting problem was he's exhausted he needs just needs to get out so an investment banker referred him to me because the investment banker could recognize the signs they they right. had worked with us in the past they knew referred him to me and he actually he didn't want to exit he he wasn't as tired as he thought he was still in the game and wanted to have some fun. He was just stuck. In yeah, the rut. frustrated. Yeah. So get him out of the rut. All of a sudden, he gets the right team around him, and he's so much more energized. Now he can scale the business and take a bigger exit. So in that sense, no, it wasn't the reason he initially came, but helping him see you could do two, you could take two bites. You can get some help now. Yeah. And then take a second, you know, mm. bite of the apple, exit a second time and make more money. He he came to that realization on his own and was able to navigate um, the transaction without a problem. And what's even better is in this next season, he's figured out what he wants and what life looks like. And yes. so he went on. He's very happy. His, it, he and his wife were in Spain for a while. Yeah. Well, this is and this is um, exit planning. If we. I don't want to coin that term. I know it involves a lot of different interpretations, but done really well, exit doesn't have to be the 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 obvious outcome. It can be. I, I feel like there's a, when owners take the time, make the investment, trust in some some external advice, they see their business all of a sudden can be different and better, and the you know the compulsion to sell because it's giving them the irrits, um, it reduces. So uh, it's it's such a, you know, that term exit planning can kind of be quite binary, but I think it's um, it's it's more, it's as much about just making the business better so you've got choices. And if you want to sell, great. You maybe go, uh, be, I wonder if Bill is the kind of guy that would go and do another business because sometimes they're wired that way. <laughs> they can't turn sometimes it off. Sometimes they are. Yes, yeah, serial entrepreneurs. Um so for, yeah, in, in Bill's case, uh, I suspect he's going to fuel other entrepreneurs right. and, yeah. you know, he certain passions for giving back for sure. Yeah. Um, but I, that made me think of like, it's not just single owners, right. That are going to exit. Um, and the term exit planning, it, uh, it makes it so final. Right. And mm. it's to your point, it's not necessarily about an exit for forever, like a complete one-step thing, or even for everybody to get out. Yeah. If if there's a family, it's re- that's why I think that as an industry, we've made a mistake in our nomenclature and we've created a barrier for ourselves. Yeah. Well, yeah, and families. I think you must do. I read that article. The Gamina family, the LA Coffee. Um, you know, you obviously you know do it a lot of work in family businesses, but it can also be with a group of disparate shareholders that maybe they're friends, maybe they're 
you know, ex-business colleagues that kind of come together in a business and it's all exciting. And and then the, the exit thing, we call it that, is so troublesome when they want to go at different times. I haven't got a plan. So, the, you know, there's a lot, there's some good structure in the, in the process of thinking about what what if these different things happen down the line or we someone wants to get out or we all want to get out but yeah it's um it's quite binary what when um it can be so i, I read that same article it, they're a really interesting family definitely yeah yeah it was um you know i however many generations out it was it they came from cuba i think and yeah we might put a link up to that article um because you know it but goes yeah. deep into a fam, you know, a family business. I suspect has got a lot more uh, purpose than just um, dollars. Um, yeah. So we, the I, I just wanted to sort of talk about the the flip side of ownership when owners aren't addressing these the challenges that they that they um, are seeing uh, or presenting in a business not performing well or presenting in, in terms of them not feeling right. Do it, but it does, how does it flow on to others in, in their, their environment, the staff, the family? Yeah. So whether it's a single owner or a family of owners, um, we refer to the psychological castle, right? So the person who has, who's the holder of power, authority, control, and influence, the single biggest one, they're able to, particularly if there's weak family governance, they create a psychological castle that everybody else lives in. And so it's their own, they get their own needs met. Everybody works in a way that works with this person's psychology and that can be a real strength and an asset when you're growing the business and when you're having to push through barriers. But at some point, you you stop learning from others and they stop being able to challenge you and you create frustration. And if there's weak family governance or the family system is sometimes toxic, then the psychological castle becomes more of a prison for everybody else. And the staff that will stay, the, the staff that are drawn to it, our staff that bring their own family baggage, their own history. We bring our family to work with us every day, whether we know yeah. it or not as, yeah. as employees, right? So they grew up in a system that allows them to stay and work in that environment. And, and a lot of people can be really successful working in that space, and that's okay. But when they hit a barrier and they try to conquer it, they are, they can't get past it until they deal with that stuff, and that's where it, that those are some of the most challenging pieces, right? It's the family system that shapes the organizational culture. Yeah, yeah, and and if it's if it's, c- could you expand the use of the term family to a non-family environment where it's it's a group of employees that have been in a place for I mean the local community in a smaller community where there's yeah. a yeah, and it, and it yeah it develops patterns and. And, and structures and ways of doing things. Yeah. Um, super interesting, right? So even if it's not a family business and they're just employees, that same psychological castle of the owner pervades. Mm-hmm. And these people who are there, so got another client, um, they have, I, I always have to mask because I can't talk about, I can't talk about specific clients. Um, so I can't give it away. 
they um, they have a team of management staff who have largely grown up with the business. I think the the shortest tenure is 20 years and the longest tenure is nearly 35 years. And they're great people, they're homegrown talent, and they've got all this knowledge that lives in their head that yeah. hasn't been yeah. documented, that it makes the business work because they're all there. Yeah. And it makes the owner comfortable because he's got this team. But it's not readily transferable. <laughs> you can't, mm. right? You can't. Yeah. And it's huge risk because if one of them leaves, a critical role leaves, it's going to be very difficult to fill and very costly. Yeah. So that, those are the effects. Yeah, yeah. Um, and with, with with family, I mean, I I deal with a lot of um, uh, owners who are mostly come to me when they're thinking about selling or are ready to sell tomorrow, and 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 that's so hard when you, you've decided I'm ready, so I want to put it on the market. So I mean, just it needs a lot longer, and that's why exit planning, you know, in in a a form of exit planning to get owners thinking about what they need to do for four years, two years out is so, so vital. Um, but you know, it, it, it kind of, um, it shows up in terms of frustration, health issues, relationship issues. Yeah. And, and that's one of the really you know, positive things about some pre-planning is you start to reduce those sorts of environment, you know, impacts on, on, cause you, you can't, you can't ignore them. You just have to. Oh, yes, you can. <laughs> oh, well, sorry. You can. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you can. We, we do it all the time. <laughs> we shouldn't ignore them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right, Michael. Yeah. So, um, with, with, you talked a little bit earlier about an, uh, an investment banker that it, that it sent over a client, I think it was Bill, was it, you know? Um, so let's talk about how ad- advisors out there can, better get look ultimately get if they do this tune in more closely to the the sorts of issues we've been talking about you, you you'd like to think there's a, a a better outcome all round so what's how and what's the incentive for advisors who typically get approached firstly when it comes to to a business owner wanting to sell or exit or a family wanting to do that so what what's the what's your advice to them <sighs> that is a really good question. Because um, I'm an advisor so, and I'm looking for, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I so, tune into the people, yeah. Yeah, I think tune into the people, but as you're asking the question, the image of another owner came into mind. Um, another very successful business um, based in um, the mid, the central part of the United States. And, um, I couldn't understand why. I mean, he's very competent. He's one of the better leaders I've ever met. He didn't have a lot of what we call role identity fusion. Um, he, he was really very ready, but every time the attorneys or the investment bankers or the wealth and asset managers or the, the um, not his CPA, but a CPA for the transaction um, who was coming in for diligence. Anytime they walked in the room, he would just get, so he looked like he got small. And one day I asked him like, what is going on with you? How, how can I better support you? Because this isn't working. Um, he said that 
when the suits walk in the room, he feels like he's three years old. And that told me a lot. The advisors that come in the room, we bring expertise that the owner doesn't have. So we challenge their need for competency and autonomy because we also take away their agency. They become dependent on us. Mm. Right. And so the minute we start to put those two things in play, we trigger a fight, flight, freeze response in them. And we're not like we're doing our job. We're showing up. We're bringing the expertise. We're speaking our own language. We're doing all the things he hired, he or she hired us to do. And we should still do those things, but we just have to do them in a different way. Yeah. So one of the things that I learned is when you put a group of advisors in a room, my job more and more is really to take the friction out by getting people to play nice together before they don't play nice together. So it's setting the ground rules. Who's going to do what? Who's responsible for what? We all have different opinions rather than the owner having the same conversation five times with the advisors and getting five different answers. Let's be grown-ups and put the issue on the table and have one meeting and let the owner be in control and hear each person's perspective and then trust that they're competent enough mm. to make a decision. Yeah. We, as advisors, we, we screw that up all the time. Yeah. 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 Now it's, um, it's a couple of it's simple and structured project planning of a of a really complex exercise, and then I guess pressure testing that early in the process that we can all function together because the the team on that you're referring to there could be you know three four five people, and it gets really messy when when you're in a sale process and there's the team on the other side yes. and so yeah it just kind of i've seen a, a lot of what should be good um, good deals just fall apart because of those sort of th simple things yeah yeah you, absolutely the um you mentioned role role identity and i, I do really want to uh, talk about that because um at the very beginning of today we we talked briefly about you know the there are other reasons for being in business and yes. not wanting to scale to whatever amount, but having purpose. Is that is that what you're referring to there with role identity or is that a different thing? It's a different thing. Purpose is a part of it, right? Um, but um, so the e it's easier to explain visually. So I'll try not to talk with my hands, Michael. <laughs> so... Uh, we all have lots, we all play lots of roles, right? If, if you and I were to sit and have a conversation, um, I would probably hear you talk about family. I would probably hear you talk about other activities that you, you like to do. Um, you're not just a podcaster. You probably play a sport, do some kind of athletic. You probably travel you probably do all these different things. And you've, you're taking on different parts of your identity as you're engaging in those different roles or functions, different behaviors, different thoughts, different ways of enjoying it, and different parts of you get satisfied through that. That is part of what keeps you healthy, is being able to move in and out of these roles pretty seamlessly. When the self-identity gets in trouble is when one particular role dominates and fulfills most of the psychological needs of that self. And what happens over time 
is the self-identity and that particular role identity become more and more fused. And you don't know who you are without that. Yeah. For business owners, it's the role of owner. For athletes, the role of athletes, et cetera. Yeah, yeah and, and, and it's a, a realization comes at different times for, for owners or athletes when there's going to, there is potentially this period afterwards where they're no longer that. And, and, you know, like it's a bit more, maybe a bit more obvious in athletics. If you're an elite basketballer and there's a, there's an age, you know, where that just isn't going to be possible. And with a business owner, I think maybe a little bit different. Um, But, you know, I've seen, uh, and this is the thing that fascinates me deeply and why you become so close, you know, I work with owners every day and it's the question is, the, as I said, the implication or the reason they come is typically I want to sell now. Um, Mike Finger from Exit Oasis in the US talks about this all the time in in in, you know, in, in the way it should be talked about, which is you, you're trying to offload your problem to someone else, <laughs> call it your yes. problem child, your business. But yep. yeah, so the, but to I, I realise that that so often you know there. You, can, you just can't achieve that. In, you, you've got to you've got to go back and, and, and reset. But but you know often there there is this um, realization, and they go, "I'm not. What will I be without my business?" And I think that's really that's part of any of that sort of exit planning that we talk about, or or just general planning for what you're going to do in your business, which you need to think about. But yeah. fundamental to it is what will you do without that business and if you don't have an answer to that then no sometimes I it's they'll, they'll say look it's not enough money it's it's, it's not about the money it's about yeah well what am I going to do with my time I you know I don't I, you know I love my dog and love you know I love my family and I, I love playing golf but I don't want to be doing that I, I, I actually now I realize that there are good days and bad days but I actually love being an owner yeah it, it's not and the word do I think is the is the interesting part right it it's not what they are or are not going to do it's how they're going to be so another owner once I was listening to him, his big fear was being irrelevant after the transaction people come to me and they need me I sit on boards I do all this thing Am I going to be irrelevant? What yeah. he's really saying is, how am I going to get my need for significance met? How am I going to get my need for relatedness met? How am I going to need get my need for agency or autonomy and competency? Mm. Like, where am I going to get all these? Because I'm an entrepreneur. I have those five personality traits that aren't going to go away. Yeah. I use them through my business to get all these met. Where am I? Where's that going to happen? So it's not about what they do, right? It's about where do I get to be mm. who I'm meant to be? Mm. And so when we talk about we can play golf, you can vacation, you can do this with your wife, we're missing the boat. We're missing the mark. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you said Bill from wherever it was is, is going to work with other entrepreneurs. So so you can you can use all that energy and experience and, and drive to, to, to be – of significance or be of, of value. Yeah, you don't – but yeah. it does take time to, to to think that through. Like if you're a busy yeah. 
if you're a busy business owner, which a lot of them are, and and um, it, it, we've got to get away from this thinking. Well, there, there's there's business and then there's selling, um, which yes. works sometimes, but it, you know often not. You just need to somehow, maybe through those good advisors and through a, a planning process, realize that there might there might make sense for everybody, not just me, for the you know family, the staff, mm-hmm. the customers of the business, for it for there to be some kind of transition and doesn't necessarily have to be all out either it can be staying in you know bringing in a manager bringing in other shareholders which creates a whole lot of other issues but yeah so well then you then it's the issue of can can you go from king to prince or queen to princess oh, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. right you're not the king anymore queen you you don't have sovereignty where you get to make all the decisions can you subjugate yourself to others yeah that's that's yeah how well, like, how do you attack? How do you tackle that? It's a lot of deep introspection and 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 good counsel around you. You start with: Can you subjugate yourself to your current management team? And if not, why? What's keep? What's the barrier? Do you not believe in them? Do you not trust them? Do you not think they have your best interests at heart? Do you do you think they have you have a magic skill that they don't? What what, what keeps you from doing that? And it's like I mean, I'm being a little flippant. The conversation's much softer, and it's never one thing. But, but it's it's but, on it's exactly the kind of message that you've got to put, you know, yeah. get across. Yeah. So get them to start to do that with people they are already trust. That's far easier than trying to get them to do it with new people, mm-hmm. like advisors or new owners. Yeah, new partners. And, yeah, and that trusting it's not it's not easy to trust, and I I, I certainly think that. The owners I've dealt with over the years do trust, but not easily. And sometimes they make it really they put the barrier so high, um, it kind of does does themselves a bit of a disservice. But yeah, that you know, I think what we're you know what we're saying is there. There's you got to you got to you got to be more aware of your own um, profile, your own needs. The, the reason you have a business and 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 what what is the next stage with um with orange kiwi and and the um clearwater insights just just can you just give us a little bit about how you you know how you do work with and the kind of clients you work with and then i want to just relate that to there's a lot of micro and very small business owners out there who may or may not be able to kind of access the kind of services that you're going to describe now, but some advice for them on how they might go about, if they've listened in, they've gone, yeah, you know, that, that makes sense. What, what, what other ways they could go about getting some of the outcomes that you, you, you deliver with your own clients? Yeah. Um, that is a great question. And I love that question. Um, it's, it's part of why CWI exists. Um, so for the orange kiwi side, that is owner facing. It's um, it's a, a niche approach, meaning we don't work with a tremendous amount of clients. Um, we work with owners that are in that the higher part of the low end of the market. Um, so north of about thirty million, up to about one point five billion. Um, and the right. thing that they have in common is there's complexity. So, right, it's often a family business with multiple shareholders. Some is 177 shareholders in one case. 
um, and growing. <laughs> um, and, and so that, that the type of services and the way we position it, you're right, it's not accessible to the much lower end of the market, but they have some good advisors in place. Almost all of them will have a CPA. And, and having a really good, high quality CPA that isn't just helping you look in the rearview mirror about what happened in filing your taxes, but has more of that strategic CFO approach and, or a good coach or um, exit planner who, yeah. I, I'm hesitant to using that term, that has that, that kind of that forward looking skill that can help guide you. Yeah. And, and the thing you want to look for is, do they understand me? Right. Can can they work with me and my needs or do I have to fit into their mold? So that's what Clearwater Insights is really all about, helping the owner understand themselves and what they need from their advisors and helping the advisors understand how best to do what they do best, but in a way that works for the owner. Yeah. And yeah. so that that Clearwater Insights is owners come to it through an advisor they don't come to it through us and that's because we really believe particularly on the lower end of the market they need to have a community of people who can come around them yeah yeah and I, and be equipped yeah okay um so it is ultimately it's for those owners it's on them to take a step forward and think about and and maybe get away from the business i mean we you don't want to kind of yeah. prescribe this stuff but that I don't think there's many owners, um, the older you get, the more you need to think about this stuff. So, yes. um, and, and yeah. Look, Ali, I know we're coming up to, um, you've got a, a, a deadline. I really appreciate your time. We will put those links um, to Clearwater Insights on the on, and Orange Kiwi on the show notes when, it, when this goes up as a podcast in a few weeks' time. Um, I really really appreciate your time thank you it's um it's such an important topic and i think we're we're overloaded with great technical advice and services and but you know we kind of misses the it's it it needs to be delivered but i think what you're saying is we need to really tune into owners and and for owners to kind of open up a bit and that's a pretty simplistic view of what you you know the the complexity of what you've talked about but i think that's um that's the the message so we encourage all owners to not leave it till yeah. the very last minute that's really true and um you know for the, on the orange kiwi side um and on the clearwater insights one of the things that we know is this isn't I mean, we work with clients all over the world are it, it was um you may have met him it was Trevor in Australia, down in Perth, who's on our team, who really pushed to help the smaller business owner as well. So I always have to give Trevor a shout out for that piece. Of I, yeah, no, I, I haven't met Trevor, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, ah. I'm gonna reach out to him and, um, uh, you know, and, and have a discussion. I'm, I'm actually heading to Perth in a couple of weeks, so maybe we can. Awesome. Yeah. Um, all right, Ali. Really appreciate. The, you know, that's a, a really um, terrific insight on a, on a complex but very important issue. Thanks so much. You're very welcome. Well, I hope you enjoyed that really interesting, informative discussion with Ali Taylor from uh, Orange Kiwi and Clearwater Insights in the US on a, on a 
particularly complex issue that uh, hasn't and, and, and doesn't get a lot of coverage. It's clear to me that there's a lot of upside for owners, for the family of owners and, and for advisors as well to really tune in more closely to the to the, the, the ideas and the concepts that Ali talked about. For me, there was a few key, few key takeouts. Um, at a very basic level, everyone's got a psychological profile, but you know we, we'd do better to understand it. The psychological profile, this is for owners, that, that made you successful in starting and growing a business may not and probably isn't going to serve you as well when it comes time to exit. The psychological castle that that Ali spoke about, you know, can easily become a, a a prison, a psychological prison. Advisors have a have a bigger role to play, um, just in understanding that how deeply psychological profiles can can impact an owner will probably uh, lead advisors to be to, to get better outcomes by acknowledging these factors and these influences on the process of exiting. Um, we, you know, self-identity gets lost very easily when the role of a business owner dominates the life of someone. And it's it's most importantly, it's critical for owners at the time of exit to get used to this idea of subjugating yourself when you were the king and now you're the, you've got to become the prince or you were the queen and now you've got to become the princess. So that is all for today's episode of Small Business Banter. I continue to be inspired bringing you small business experts and other small business owners and hearing their stories. If you want to listen to any past episode, jump onto your podcast platform of choice and search Small Business Banter. There you will find a diverse and fascinating collection of small business owners and experts openly discussing and sharing their experiences. For any of the links, resources, or information we've talked about on the show today, or to contact me, please head over to smallbusinessbanter.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. And it would be great to have you tune in the same time next week for another episode of Small Business Banter.